Hello, and welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop Podcast, your one stop for co-op news and reviews. This week, Jason Perez is here to entertain you with some more shelf stories. Yo, my peoples, what's up? Welcome to Shelf Stories, the channel that tells tales from games, books, and life. And also welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop Podcast. My name is Jason. Uh, Thank you so, so much for joining us. Uh, This is a hotly requested episode. Um, A couple of uh, months ago at this point, we finished a top 200 solo games uh, from the One Player Guild, and we had a commentary episode, lots and lots of discussion, lots and lots of feedback. The number one feedback that I got was, where is the Euro love? We did not get, I mean, I'm being really serious, guys. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. Uh, you know, the, the people that were on the panel aren't the biggest Euro players. So I decided I had to go reach back into my past, into my genesis as a content creator and reach out to these two gentlemen who helped me get my start in content creation. I am always thankful to both of these gentlemen. Uh, so I will introduce the gentleman from Board Gamers Anonymous podcast, Twitch, YouTube. I'll tell they'll tell you all about what they're doing. Uh, first, I'll introduce Mr. Anthony Chatfield. What's up? Thanks for having me on. Awesome. Back on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did a podcast together for a number of years. Uh, that was very, very excellent. And through Anthony, I got to know uh, the other member of Board Gamers Anonymous, Mr. Christopher Carbone. Oh, he muted himself. No, I'm still here. So good to see everybody. Thank you for having me, Jason. Really going to be a good time. You faked me out. I Uh, did. (laughs) So so this is going to be top 200, uh, basically kind of uh, a continuation of that, but focusing mostly on those Euro games. Uh, Both of these gentlemen are very well known. They, They love their Euros. Not sure why. We'll definitely argue about <laughs> a couple of those. <laughs> it begins. Uh, <laughs> but this is a, think of this episode as a continuation of the top 200. So I'm going to definitely pair this one with the episodes that came before. But before we get into that, I want uh, these two uh, fine young men to introduce themselves and their channel to this new audience here in Shelf Stories. By the way, if you are watching Shelf Stories, uh, go ahead, subscribe. There it is, that big red button down there. Uh, like this video and let people know what we are all about. We are game content, we are interviews, and we are shelf help, uh, mental health tips and tricks. Uh, you guys know the drill. So, Board Gamers Anonymous, uh, tell the peoples what that is all about. Well, I'll jump off. So, Board Gamers Anonymous has been around for over seven years, over 300 episodes. 300, guys. That's amazing. <laughs> Just recorded 300 a couple of weeks ago as we are recording this video. Absolutely. And even recently, we started BGA Live, which is a live Twitch stream of Board Gamers Anonymous. So we are doing everything that we promised ourselves as hardcore introverts that we would never, ever do. <laughs> We didn't want to be on camera, Jason. Yeah, it's Board Gamers Anonymous. What am I thinking? (laughs) Oh, we forgot the paper bags. (laughs) Yes. So we are your most introvert board game people at the table who have their heads down playing those really heavy Euros each and every week. And it's been a wonderful opportunity. Obviously, the stuff that Jason's covering is the stuff that we feel that is very close to our hearts that board gaming is a wonderful hobby that allows for our mental health, for our friendships, 
for our family to join in an activity that's a lot of fun, intellectually stimulating and emotionally beneficial to everybody. And really for both of us, we are very much big thematic people. We like, we like theme, we like story, we like storytelling and board gaming has done so much for that for us. I'm not sure if he's being sarcastic or not. <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. Just because we like Euros doesn't mean we don't like theme. Uh, maybe not Maybe not all the thematic, you know, quote, capital T thematic. Ameritrashy, <laughs> but like, I mean, yeah. as we will get, as we will actually get into uh, with the top 200, many of the Euros that place here are either thematic or mm-hmm. have some kind of integration, like, you know, well-woven in theme overlay, even if it doesn't come out in the mechanisms. There's always sure. something going on, even in the most hardcore of Euros. We will not get Lorenzo Il Magnifico or any of the... <laughs> I know I talk a lot of junk about that. That one's like the paradigm of, like, this is a disaster. <laughs> such a good game, man. It's such a good game. Or, or tramways. We're not getting that. <laughs> tramways! Why not? That's on the list. That's on the top 200. Is it? Oh, no. Yeah. We're not talking about it. The game is god ugly. Also. Man, why are you going to be like ugly. that? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Sorry for taking the Lord's name in vain. I have to edit the one out. that one out. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it's there somewhere. So, um, great. So, that is, so, go ahead and check them out. They have a Patreon as well. Uh, so, go ahead and check out the BGA Patreon, uh, Active Community over in Slack. Uh, and, you know, I'm always... I consider myself part of the Board Gamers Anonymous family. I was on their live stream yesterday mm-hmm. uh, or the day before. I ate a hat. He did. <laughs> he did. He did. An actual I have, hat. I have the picture to prove it. <laughs> that like, was your any, Thanksgiving breakfast. I don't know anything breakfast. about Stone Age, though. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we should be popping up on each other's shows uh, fairly frequently. Mm-hmm. All right. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. So uh, we so let's 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 get into uh, the top two hundred. So what we're gonna do is mm-hmm. we're just gonna buzz through the bottom half because there's a lot of like kind of stuff down there, and I sure. I, I think that you know, the people want to get to like the little top half. But I do want to address some of the games that landed in the bottom half. Some of Anthony's favorites, <laughs> in particular. I'm not really sure about Chris, but some of Anthony's favorites did land there. So we're gonna start. Um, down there, uh, I am going to begin. I did want to, this one I wanted to ask you about, cause I don't know about it. This one was new this year, Expedition to Newdale. Oh, sure. This yeah, one this was a... in the way bottom of the list. I think in like the one eighties or something. This was the right. board game implementation of, oh my goods, which is a, which placed higher. Uh, mm-hmm. so I, that's all I know. <laughs> so, that's uh, all you need to know. Is it? <laughs> Uh, kind of, yeah. Like it is. Oh my goodness, the board game. It's the same mechanism. It's just a little cleaner. Uh, you know, he consolidated a few things, wrapped it up a little more nicely, created a more concise package in which to play the game, and then created a campaign to go with it, which is something he's been doing in the Oh My Goods expansions. But um, I like it better than Oh My Goods. I actually got rid of my Oh My Goods because I, I kept the board game. Like it's, it's over there somewhere. Um, <laughs> but. Yeah, yeah, it's a funny thing. Like, you don't really, maybe you need both, but I really don't think you do. It, it is kind of the same mechanism. Anything, uh, any, any insight on that one? Oh my goods, Chris. Yeah, I, I really enjoy Oh my goods because again, it's a small box game, and you don't typically see small box games, especially when it comes to euros. Even you know, San Juan is still a bigger box. Oh my goods is something you could literally stick in your pocket. And you can't say that about Euro games. So being able to get something to the table quick and easy, no matter where you are, a lot of people ask about that all the time. That's going to be the game for you. Right. 
yeah oh my goods is like the the board game yeah. i wonder because like uh, like race for the galaxy also came out with the board game version and mm-hmm. like <laughs> it's funny like I, this is how i know i like board games a little more than card games because both of those games i'm like i like this one better and right. obviously that's not been the case for everybody because sure. both of those games mm-hmm. kind of faded away a little bit after they came out so I keep on yeah. forgetting that uh, half of this listenership is on a podcast. I shrugged when I said <laughs> <laughs> role player uh, or race for the galaxy, the board game is like, I, I, do we really need board game implementation of these card games? If they're not going to do like anything radically different or they're just going to kind of be a, a side shuffle step as opposed to a step forward. But Yeah. I guess they become like an alternative. Like it's not like, Oh, you like this now play this as well. It's like, well, there's this mechanism and now it's in a new form for people who want something bigger and longer and meatier, right. um, which I guess is me. <laughs> I don't know how many more people there are, but <laughs> it's me. There's another guy I know, Joe. I don't know. <laughs> I, yeah. I think you get a flavor for each. So these days it's all about taking that one game and then making it a board game, a card game, a roll and write, yeah. a dice game, <laughs> Yeah. A party game for some reason. <laughs> so, yeah. So how far can you stretch that IP, you know, and that mechanic? And I didn't yeah, just review McGeechee the dice game. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah, uh, better one, than others. Another one that appeared in the nether regions down way below, co- close to 200, was CO2, Second Chance. Mm-hmm. Uh, any, uh, any word on that one? I will. This is actually the one Vitello Serta game I've still not played. Really? I have it. What? Yeah, yeah. I just haven't gotten around to it. It's. You, uh, that's your favorite designer, though, right, Anthony? It is. Yeah, I've played every other one of his games. So any other game that comes up on this list, I can speak about for hours. Chris yeah, that's well. not happening. Like, <laughs> what? It's a school night. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, CO two for whatever reason. I think I popped it out once too, and I was going through the rules and. I don't know. I don't know what it was. It was just something didn't click and I, I just didn't get through that. So still haven't played it. Are you a Lacerda guy, uh, Chris? Yeah, I'm a big Lacerda guy. This is a game that I've wanted for quite some time. The challenge that Anthony's finding with the rule book is because it can be cooperative or competitive. So there's so much you can do with the game. So anytime you have a game that has multiple functions to it, it becomes kind of an obtuse mess. Not in a bad way, but it's, it's just really, it takes a lot of time to wrap your head around it. And it pl- kind of plays okay both ways, but it's not, okay. it's not his tightest design. He has much tighter design. But this is obviously one of the best thematic kind of gameplays you could have because it's about all these different countries working together to tackle climate change to- together, but yet compete against each other at the same time. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Salaserta, uh, so when I mentioned before about like, I guess the reason I wanted to focus on games in this area was because mm-hmm. this is where all of Salaserta's games yeah. landed. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you have the Gallerist at 135, you have On Mars at 150. Lisboa mm-hmm. just missed less than 103. I believe that Lisboa was the highest rate of the games. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you guys feel about that as Lacerda heads? Do you think that the solo community has got it wrong? <sighs> I mean... Yes, but also I understand. <laughs> I, I love all these games solo. Like, literally any of them. They're all very yes. good. Um, On Mars, the most recent one that came out, it's just fantastic. I had a blast with that. Uh, the Gallerist is one of my favorite games. Is it, is it like all, is yeah. it good always? 
all, his solo versions are just generally very good. Like if you like his games in general, like if you don't like a Lacerda game, you're probably not going to like it solo, but mm. um, he does a really good job of making it engaging and not just, you know, a high score challenge like a Rosenberg. Um, the thing about most of them though, is that those games are big. They're really big. Right? Expensive. They're very expensive, like $130 most of the time. And then they also take up a lot of space. It takes yeah. like 20, 30 minutes to set it up. And the solo version of any game is going to be like, you know, 45 minutes maybe. So it's right. not, it doesn't feel worth it unless you're going to sit and play it a few times. Sure. Um, so I don't bring these out very often. Like, even though I love them and I have them all, they're at the top of my shelf. Um, the Vino solo in particular is just so good. And yet I just never bring it down because it doesn't really even fit on the table I have back here. I have to like put the tables together and it's a whole thing. So <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I think that might be part of it. It's just something you wouldn't bring out as often. The gallerist is the one exception. Cause that one I can set up in like 10 minutes and you can play like two or three games back to back in like an hour. So mm-hmm. the rest of them though, that's a lot. <laughs> what do you think, Chris? Yeah, it's definitely the dining room table situation. It's like, it's such a grand beautiful presentation and as anthony said the mechanics are so great but it's a special occasion kind of game and i think that's the only reason why it's not higher because i think all three of these games should easily be in the top 10 just because i don't know if there are any other solo games that are as lavish as the lacerda games and they, you do experience this real, again, a thematic feel from a Euro game, which I know seems counterintuitive, but there's so much to the board game. There's so much to the look of it. There's so much to the play of it that it is really a special occasion kind of game. I, I, I wanted to focus on Lacerda in particular because I, I've played Lisboa and I've played the Gowers, and I like them both for different reasons. Like Lisboa has amazing historical integration like really really good <laughs> yeah like if you know the history of the earthquake we did an episode liz and i on the history of it yeah there's so much integration of you know the different things that went on and the different characters and like it in this dry little euro so like what what that does is it's like you know you're explaining the game and then you can say that move in a way it's like oh that makes sense you know sure. it makes mm-hmm. sense that i build this building out of brick and stone and not wheat you know, yeah. like, you know, whatever right. the different, you know, the different, I don't, I don't remember the games for a while, but like, you know, you, the, the resources, the, the resource makes sense. The moves make sense. That's what thematic to me does. Like yes. what really makes sense is like, I can actually give me more access to heavier games, Gallerist as well. So like Gallerist, I found a little repetitive, like you kind of like mm. the bot is a little bit kind of just gives you the same thing. If you want to solve it, you can just kind of like either you do it or you don't, so yeah. to speak. Um, but I mean, I still think, I still like the core actions. You know, and I'm, and maybe it's because they don't have, this is a weird thing to say, but maybe it's because they don't have scenarios. Like I okay. think solo players like different, like if you look at the, the solo games that do or are, are higher than are euros. Sure. Some of them have, like some of them have scenarios. Like, okay, now we're going to change this up and now we're going to change that up. With mm. Lacerta, it's like, okay, play. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you do get to the point with the game, like on Mars, not on Mars, uh, the galleries in particular, like you said where it is, it's not solvable. There's just enough things that come up differently, but it is a little bit like, these are the best moves. This is the way you want to go. And yeah, I know like, exactly what the computer is going to do because it's not random. Like, you know what the computer is going to do and it's like, can you do it or not? 
So it's not like you're, you're like making these tactical things or the, either sure. you're going to do the optimal thing or do the next optimal thing, <laughs> whatever the computer <laughs> kind of lets you do. Um, but no, I mean, I think these are amazing games. Um, so I'm, it's a little bit of a wonder why they're so, why did none of them hit the top 100, but there's a lot of good games. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of good games. And most of them cost less. So yeah. <laughs> and most of them cost way less. <laughs> uh, the, actually, the one I wanted to mention last, I think, um, Barrage. So this was a game that hit number 140. <laughs> and I think this was the game you guys played at PAX. Mm-hmm. I think it was it was like a, about like water <clears throat> piping and sewage and stuff. Is that that's dams, familiar? hydroelectric dams? Yes, hydro. <laughs> yep. You guys were there forever. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> part of that is the people who were supposed to know the rules of the game didn't know the rules of the game, and the guy was reading it as we went, oh, and he was yes. very unhappy to be teaching us this game. He did not <laughs> want to be there. <laughs> somebody somebody the whole time. Somebody seriously drew the the short straw on that one, yeah, but he was not happy because it, it wasn't even just the again the game mechanics, but it was literally the physical mechanics of the wheels and how everything was not really working. And this was a prototype design, so yeah. again, it wasn't all the game teachers' fault. It was the board itself, the components itself. It was, it was just a really challenging, incredibly challenging teach, and then. Like you said, Jason, we were there for hours on top of. So it's not a five-hour game, okay? I just want to no. verify that. <laughs> two to three, two to three. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that brings it in normal range. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a normal length euro. It's uh, it's got some rule book challenges even now after the Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So, um, so that, uh, I don't know if you guys noticed any other, I, I did get, I linked you guys list and everything. So if there's anything yeah. that I'm missing, please go ahead and, uh, jump in. Um, but let's go to, uh, 100 through 76. So I'm going to do, as we do mm-hmm. in the top 100, I take the 25 at a time. Sure. Um, I can't talk about every game guys. That's not happening. People are like, oh, what did you talk about this? Why did you talk about that? No, <laughs> <laughs> listen to these two gentlemen. They talk about every game. <laughs> we Whenever do. they do top 100, they do every single one. Good on you guys. I'm just going <laughs> to skim. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was rough. That was <laughs> Yeah, our 300th episode. Yep. But I will mention one, Jason, before we jump in, because I know it's pretty high on the list, and but it hasn't really gotten enough attention, and that's Tricarion. The mm, new okay. Tricarion Kickstarter had this huge box, and again, it does absolutely lean towards that Lacerda super kitchen table, super dining room table, special event kind of thing, but it really honestly has one of the best solo versions that I played in a game. And that's from mind clash games. They do really good when it comes to, um, you know, solo versions. Mm-hmm. Cause David Tercy worked with them and he's like probably one of the preeminent guys. Like, I think he's like, you know, top two or three or whatever. How yeah. do you rank these things? Especially yeah. for the, the harder stuff. So, mm-hmm. all right. Um, so 176. Uh, so we were laughing about this one. So I think we're just going to jump right in <laughs> <laughs> before the call. <laughs> Um, oh, no. So we and we had a couple of commenters specifically want to hear about this game, okay. Agricola. So Agricola beat the pants off of Caverna. Caverna is way down there. <laughs> Didn't even bother mentioning it, uh, yeah. which is the Caverna is supposed to be kind of like the upgraded version, but the solo is worse at Caverna. But anyway, sure. Uh, Agricola is a classic by every definition of the term. It mm-hmm. sets the pace for a lot of these, uh, a lot of the different. Um, games that have come forward. Ure has a lot of games on this list, but Agricola is going to be the most famous one. 
and I think it stinks. I think Agricola <laughs> stinks. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> well, let Chris defend it because I'm with you. You you could speak for me. Chris is sh- for the podcast. Shame. Chris Where's my bell? I gotta get a head. bell out of here. Uve, <laughs> where are you, man? Need some Shame. backup here. Defend Agricola. I don't need to defend Agricola. As you said, Jason, it is the granddaddy of all of this farming games that really shows the thematic nature of farming back then. Usually when you think about the historic kind of nature of, you know, these early people farming the land and building up these new tools to kind of mass produce certain crops and such like that, the decks of cards that come with the game and then the obviously the other expansion cards shows the diversity of all these different cultures and shows the diversity of, of all the tools and the combinations that you can put together is, well, let's say this way, it provides a storytelling mechanism, you know, that here I was able to, you know, be able to grow these kind of vegetables on the land and I had these types of tools for it. And then I was able to utilize these types of professions and occupations that my family members were able to gain in order to help the family farm and then expand our outreach. So Agricola in a nutshell is going to be the cards. The gameplay, the board play is good. The worker placement is classic but the cards is really where their genius comes into play. And I think typically what happens for most players when they sit down and play Agricola is you do have a situation where you must feed your family. They and, forget to feed their people and they yeah. end up with negative five points on the day. Yep. <laughs> or so you, it, you try, to, try to feed your people. All of those spaces are occupied that you're trying to feed your people with. And, and the well, person look, who knows what they're doing is going to occupy those cars and those spaces that get you the little bit of food that your family needs or you can't reproduce. It's just such a punishing game. But that was true of the time. That was true back then that if you couldn't feed your family, which was a real thing for those farmers back then. Where's Liz? Get Liz in here. Liz, Liz let's back me up on this. I, I would say that's true of any time. So all games no, should no, have no. that mechanic then. You go to Whole Foods. You're fine. I don't know what you guys are talking Easier about. Easier to feed your people in Caverna and there was less food back then. I don't want to hear it. Caverna is a fantasy game where you that's can actually eat dwarves. gems and money. <laughs> like that's not a real thing you could do. Like in, in Agricola, you actually have to cook your food. And Caverna's like, no, you could just eat that donkey. Just go for it. It's like, what are you doing? Why would you do that? Leave the donkey alone. Is that why you don't like it, Anthony? Is it so punishing? My first two plays of this were, my first play in particular was a bad teach. It was someone who was just like, I'm not going to tell you exactly what you need to do. Oh, you can't feed your people. Sucks to be you. I think I had negative one point at the end of the game. Yeah. And I was like, that sucked. <laughs> and I hate you. <laughs> um, second play, I knew what I needed to do. And then I still couldn't do it because I just didn't act quickly enough. And I was like, you know what? Screw this game. This game's stupid. And then Caverna came along and that wasn't a problem. There's enough places right. to go and enough things to do. It was more sandboxy. Sure. And I was like, I think I like Uve when there's a bit of a sandbox to it, you know, yep. a little more options. So I and, just never got back will, to Agricola. And I will say one more thing. I, I do think it does get its bad reputation as misery farming, uh, primarily because <laughs> like Lahav, if you don't know the cards in the deck 
that are going out and you're playing with multiple people, you're going to get punished. And I played games where I'm like, oh, these cards are bad. And then, oh, these cards are bad. And then like, oh, wait a minute, that went with the other card. Oh, no. And then the, other, the next person's able to put together like a killer combo. Right. Or right. some people play with random draws. So everyone gets just like a random hand of cards. That really doesn't work because, again, someone got lucky and put together the card combo where they're producing family left and right and they're, they're growing wheat left and right. And you're just like, well, I can get a stone. <laughs> <laughs> so I got a free stone, everybody. Look, look at the card. It's a free stone. Ooh, can my baby eat that stone? No. <laughs> <laughs> they can in Caverna. <laughs> this, you could do that in Caverna. So, I mean, I love Caverna. But Agricola is, you know, where the big boys come to play. That's all I'm saying. Mm -hmm. All right. Well defended, sir. I, I, I you. you have not convinced me, but <laughs> for those of you who are wondering about Agricola, go ahead and check that out. <laughs> Take Chris's word for it. The card play is good. Look, he's been trying to convince me for like seven years. It ain't working. <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you save a galaxy and you feel that big triumphant moment when you play Agricola and it comes to the end of the round and you're able to feed your family, you feel the same way. <laughs> I've done it. I fed my family. <laughs> like it really seems odd, but I, I'm telling you, I was a big Amerithrash player and I just avoided that game, like all get out. And then I sat down and played it and it is enjoyable. So definitely check it out. It is an achievement. Yes. To, it uh, is an achievement. To score positive points. It is an achievement. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> Uh, another game down here. I played it a couple of times. I haven't really bursted into it too much. I I'm curious what you think, Anthony. You liked, you loved Imperial Settlers. Uh, mm -hmm. Imperial Settlers Empires of the North landed at 86. So uh, what is your impression of one or both? Uh, so yeah, Imperial Settlers is one of my favorite games of all time. And having, I own all the stuff. I've played it over 100 times probably. And Which one? I'm Empires well aware of this. What's that? Empires of the North, that reiteration? No, 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 the, the original one. Um, the, the, new, the reiteration came out, Empires of the North. And I sat down to play it, and I actually like it a little bit better mechanically, but there's something about that original game and the openness of the decks and the way you're drafting the cards out of the central deck. The thing about Empires of the North is you have a set deck of cards, right? Which is cool, right? It's... Mm -hmm you know what your cards are going to be, you build the combos, but it also has a side effect where, at least in the multiplayer, if you've played it a few times, you're going to do better than people who are newer to the game. I always have trouble with games like that because you just know all the cards that are in the deck that you can't fix that disadvantage. There's no way to handicap right. that. Yeah. Um, and then in the solo version, it's actually pretty good. And there's a lot of like solo scenarios and stuff that come with it. Um, but it doesn't have like that overarching, like the stuff they layered onto Imperial Settlers, the original over the years, like with the campaign and all the extra elements you can do. And there's like that whole campaign expansion that came out last year. Mm. It's elevated it above for me. So I'm still a fan of Imperial Settlers. Empires of the North didn't make it onto my list this year, <coughs> um, even though I have it and I like it. Mm. And like mechanically, I think it is a better game because it's a little more forgiving and a little mm. less dependent on the card draw. But and a little faster, which is nice. But I, I'm still a bigger fan of the original. It feels like another sidestep 
Yeah. Like, like another, like we talked about before, Race for the Galaxy or Oh My Goods. Like, yeah. Okay, here's a shuffle step. And here are some things that people complained about in my original design. And sure. I get to do it again because I'm a designer. My games are never done. So I'm just going to keep on doing it, right. <laughs> iterating and releasing new stuff. But it well, doesn't... he didn't design this one, right? It was someone else. I thought it was, I thought it was him. I thought it was him. And he just like... No, it's, it's a woman believe because it's so Sorry. similar like I, I did like if you know imperial settlers you'll be able to get 70 percent of the way through empires of the north sure right yeah yeah um yeah so he's he's still listed as co-designer but it's it's joanna kajanka who huh. okay. i believe did one of his expansions to no maybe it's the only one she, he did but um she, breaking she news on the podcast. right yeah <laughs> no she she worked on the uh the rise of the empire thing the uh okay. the campaign box for imperial settlers as well so mm-hmm. i think she's doing a lot of the iteration on the imperial settlers formula mm-hmm. um or at least working with him but i don't know i like it a lot i think it changes enough to stand on its own i just at the same time owning both i'm like well i'm gonna play the original because i like it you yeah. know <laughs> Right. But yeah. I, I think the original really only shines when you get the expansions. Yes. Yeah. I think yeah. I think the base box, which I do have, doesn't really do much because the races are so rigid. Like your race does this. You know, you attack, you steal, that's all it does. When you get the expansions, the game shines. And right. I think that's what they were trying to do with the new iteration is like add some of that expansion material into the game so you would have a better base game experience but yeah if you could have everything then probably the original but if you're just starting out and you're only going to buy a base set you probably want to go for the new one mm-hmm. yeah i will say too the original is super fiddly like let, yes. let's say you go out tomorrow <laughs> and you buy the original and all the expansions with it it'll take you like an hour to set it up because you're like which decks go with what and yeah. what do i upgrade and how do i do this which um, resources do i need how much of them and yep yeah it, it can be a bit of a mess. Like when I pull that thing out and I'm teaching it, I'm like, all right, which factions are people, you know what? I'm going to tell you which factions you're going to be because otherwise <laughs> it's too hard. So uh, to be clear, um, we can go on to 75 to 51 here. Imperial Settlers did land on 56 and Empires of the North did land down. And I think that sounds right. Is that, I guess that's yeah. what you're saying. That like, it's, sure. you know, like you can play Empires of the North and it's an easier entry in the fixed deck. I like fixed deck. So mm-hmm. I like getting to know my deck intimately. So if in a vacuum, I probably would prefer Empires of the North. Like, cause there's a lot of people that are coming in new, like which one should I buy? That sure. might be your entry, but I, since I was a Imperial Settlers player, by the way, uh, as a, at, a, at a higher player count, just don't. Just no, don't do oh, it. No. Yeah. No. <laughs> You'll be there for, for hours. It's and not such a, a long way. game with four people. Oh, my gosh. Not in a good way. Especially that last <laughs> round. The last round is like just combos and points. And yeah. So and interactions and all that. But like the low player count game, it's excellent. The solo scenarios are excellent for Imperial Settlers. doesn't offer enough to take you off of Imperial Settlers. But if you're new, Empire's yeah. North might be for you. It's, it's a funny thing. Like, I feel like this would be one of my favorite games if Imperial Settlers didn't exist. Right. Mm. But it does. It does, so it's not. <laughs> uh, actually, but before I, but I... Is there anything else in 176 that, you, that stood out to you guys? Or can we move on to the next quadrant? Um, I've only played it a couple of times, but I was going to call it La Granja because I know it's one of Chris's favorite games. Um, sure. And I actually picked up a copy after him and I played on Borgia Marina a couple of times. Mm-hmm. And playing it solo, that's a really good solo game. So mm. it's cool to see that in the top 100. I think it's at 98. 
Yep, right, right there at the bottom. So tell us about Lagranja. Uh, we, we, that was one of the games where that prompted people to comment, like, you guys need to get a Euro expert on there because we really <laughs> dumped on it. None of us like it, but <laughs> it, it has its fans. <laughs> well, I think along the lines of Agricola, what's really hard about that game is that you do need to know the card deck because in Lagranja, the interesting dynamic about the cards is that they are just multi-use so on one side you're getting fields so you're getting vegetables and such on the other side you're getting resources that are going to populate all the time on the top there are orders in the body on the bottom there's going to be a special ability so again it's a really rich rich game but if you don't know the cards it's a little bit challenging because you're like Oh, I don't know if this is a good card. Is, does anyone know if this is a good card? This <laughs> seems like a good card. Where should I? I don't know where to place this card. I could literally place it four different places. Ah. And uh, I, I think that's what really bogs it down. But mm. the card play is fantastic because, again, you can do four different things with your cards. Okay. So it cuts both ways. I, I, uh, <laughs> one of the. <laughs> <laughs> the, the sequel i think the dice game is called uh, la, uh no siesta i think that that, that game is la siesta for me <laughs> 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 but i once again i'm so glad that i have chris carbone on this <laughs> podcast to speak for games that may not be my taste so thank you so there you much go. i appreciate it uh so going to that next part of the list of uh, clans of caledonia there's another one that leaps out of number 71. Uh, that, I've not played this. I'm intimidated by it. All the cubes. Yeah. It's a lot of cubes. It's a lot of cubes. It's so, not that uh, complex. Yeah, it's, it, like, it looks like a lot, but it's, it's... Yes, it looks like a lot. Exactly. It's more that medium range in terms of a Euro. You know, I've played this close to 50 times this year Holy because of the what? online implementation. I know. Oh <laughs> Yeah, it's on Board Game Arena. It's great. It's okay. And you right, can play right, it right. solo on there too. So um, really, wow. Yeah, yeah. It takes about ten minutes. So I've knocked out a bunch, like on conference calls. Um, so. <laughs> that's how I play Hanabi. <laughs> yeah, that's how you get to four thousand on Hanabi. Right. I think so. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, this game is fantastic. It takes like the kind of that core mechanic of like a Terra Mystica, where you're taking things off your player board, putting them on the mat, and like the placement on the map matters in, in relation to everybody else. And it combines it with like an economic type of game where there, there's a market and you buy and you sell and the supply and demand will affect the price of things, which I say all that and don't let it sound like, Oh, heavy economic game. Cause it's, it's really not. That's, it's really just this one board and you have the opportunity to buy things and you have the opportunity to sell things if you need to. The game is really about completing contracts like most economic heroes. So sure. The, and one of the things I like the most about the game is that in the five rounds, each round has a different scoring objective, like Terra Mystica. Um, and those will guide the direction people go. But there's enough different differentiators between like what you're trying to do and what someone else is trying to do based on where you started on the board that mm -hmm. you can go in different paths. Like you're gonna be like, all right, I'm gonna work, I'm gonna focus on rounds two, four, and five based on what I have, what my player power is. Sure what I started with, which contracts I was able to complete. And that's different every single game because it all comes out randomly. You start with a different clan, you start with different resources, the contracts that come out are all different. Um, so that variability is really, really important. And the game's not that long, you know, even with three or four players, it's less than two hours. Um, mm -hmm. Solo, it takes like 20 or 30 minutes and it's that small little box. So it's not like a ton of components to set up. It's really quick. So yeah, 
it's it's jumped up way up for me in terms of like some of my favorite games. I think it made it to like my not, my top thirty nice. this year because of all those things. Nice. What about you, Chris? It, it's honestly kind of forgettable for me. As Anthony mentioned, there are a lot of games that utilize the similar mechanics. So like there's a Terra Mystica situation here. There's more of that economic kind of building up and dealing with the, you know, the market. So that's more along the lines of like St. Petersburg, you know, with their kind of economic market in their second edition. And then there's also a Marco Polo element, like Anthony was mentioning with the contracts. So I've played this a bunch with my group. Usually this is like, we only have a short amount of time. And Anthony did mention this is a really good point is that it doesn't play as long as almost any of those other games. So you can get it to the table. That would be there. It's a little clumsy. Like how, you know, there are certain power sets, the clans, there are better clans than other clans. There are, you know, a situation where, the bonuses that pop up just benefit some people better than others and how you build like the connections between the routes and stuff like that does you need to wrap your brain around that a little bit so it's a kickstarter game i think it's you know it's, it's one of those early kickstarter games that like you embrace because it was a kickstarter game it was a passion that they brought out and it's a little bit broken i i think that if they would well, the, 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 the clans, it's a little broken. I'm going to say it's, it's a little broken. It's about as broken as Terra Mystica, because Terra Mystica is also broken in, in that sense. Like, if you've all played a bunch, then you know which ones are better. If you're all on equal footing, I don't know that it matters too much. But yeah, like, when I play with my local group here where we've all played the game 30 times, we do the auction, and we'll actually auction sure. points for which clan we choose. And you can auction up to, I think, 20 or 30 points. Wow. Um, like, you started as a deficit. You're like, because I don't want that clan. I want that clan, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I think okay. the Terra Mystica community is just, it's figured that out on a mass level. Like you guys have like that, you've, you've kind of understood that. Do yourself a favor. If you want to just have your mind blown, go to the Terra Mystica, you know, feed as far as on Board Game Geek. They've done hardcore like chess level statistics mm-hmm. on how you should terraform. And I remember looking at it, I'm just going, wow, this game is next level. Like they really have sussed out everything there. So it's a definitely a bigger version of this. I mean, for me, clans is typically a pass, but as Anthony said, it fit for the time you get to do a lot of things. You get to do a lot of the economic things in one box. Yeah. And I think the solo definitely pushes it up for me. Cause it is one of yeah. those, like for a Euro game, I can knock it out so fast. Cool. Speaking of unbalanced factions, tapestry. What <laughs> 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 is How did I do a, that was an amazing transition. Uh, number fifty-three. So at, on the so on the call, we were we were asked that same question. I was hoping that you guys can answer it. Uh, I guess not. So <laughs> I I can answer it. Okay. So Look, wow, Chris, you are you coming I, through for me, man? <laughs> I gave this thing a hard dodge when I reviewed it, and I actually mailed my copy to Chris because I was like, "This game sucks. I don't like this game at all." <laughs> So while I was speaking about the, the, the unbalanced factions, there was an actual patch released by Stonemaier Games with like, okay, like point values. And if you take this one, you at this deficit, if you hit this one. So like, because I, I'm not really sure, like they're usually so <laughs> tested to a sheen Stonemaier Games, but this one just kind of like, you know, kind of came all over the place. But so Chris is going to tell us why he thought Tapestry uh, deserves a, a little bit of a second look. Well, let me say this first off. I think, Jamie Stegmeier and Stonemaier Games have a passion for their own board games that I don't, I don't know if anyone ever even comes close to them. 
as far as that's concerned, their play testers, their fans are just ravenous in the best way possible. And I do think, and Anthony and I have kind of talked about this over time, I do think that there's such a following that I think that his games just are not getting the diversity of play testing mm. that they need. And it's, it's very much a single think tank that like he can do no wrong, but James Stegmaier, to his credit, has always gone back and revised his games. So if you think about like Viticulture, Viticulture and then the yep. Essential Edition and the Tuscany Edition, or I mean, really any of his mm-hmm. games, he does go back. Scythe was okay. It was a good game. And then Rise of Fenris made it a great game. So right. you can pretty much do that in all his games. The same thing is true here, that there are certainly just broke things. There are just things that are way broke. And I think, again the play testers that he have are just not diverse and critical enough because how can you be Jamie Stegmaier is like the nicest guy in the world. He just kind of walks around smiles, like a little light comes out of him. But I think there are <laughs> challenges that, see this that come <laughs> challenges that come with his game design and tapestry is a big ambitious design that does have broken pieces throughout and broken factions. And when you play it, you're enjoying it because it, does something different for the whole civilization kind of genre that you're utilizing these different tracks as far as how you do want to develop your civilization and what special technologies he does hit the you know that kind of web of tech development usually when you play a civilization game a tech tree is like one element this game is an entire tech tree it's just a tech tree So if you are a real-time strategy fan or a civilization fan and you just like love the tech tree, this game is all tech tree. The errata points to things that need to be fixed, but I think you absolutely positively need the expansion in order to really fix the game. So I can't recommend the game just as the base, but if you, if you were able to get the expansion with it, I, and obviously, you know, correct the other issues. I think it's a good game because again, you might love tech trees. I happen to be a guy who loves tech trees, you know, so okay. that's that kind of thing. So, I mean, do you, did, did you dislike the game because of the balance and development issues or did you dislike the core actions of the game, Anthony? Uh, there was a few things. Um, I liked the core <laughs> actions of it. I think I was thrown off by him marketing it as a civilization game because it's not. And then the, complete imbalance in the, the the asymmetrical elements of the game like playing through it i think i played six times to do the review and it was just all over the place just completely all over the place and everybody i played with had similar reactions like what what is this what's happening sure. um the reliance on the cards as well like the tapestry cards and some of them being significantly better than others in terms of when they come out how you use them and yep. then almost every time i played it especially at lower player accounts i would max out two or three of the tracks and i'm yes. like well there's not the end state always looks the same. Right. Like the amount of points I get might be slightly different, but every time I get to the end of the game, no matter which path I take, I kind of end up in the same place. And right. that wasn't like, I had no reason to keep playing it. I'm like, this is not, mm-hmm. I wanted to like it. Cause I like the ideas that are there, the core mechanical ideas, but the actual execution for me fell down in so many places. Yeah. That and it's a little like, in terms of, is this a civilization game? Like you can get to a game state where you're in the space age or whatever the equivalent of the end game is. And then you're like backfilling and researching like nails and fire. Right. And <laughs> it's like some weird stuff for points. <laughs> yeah. And like the military aspect, it just doesn't even make sense. Like in the context of it, it's just like, I don't know. I don't think you can make a 90 minute Civ game and that's fine. 
but fine, people keep trying and it just doesn't work. So. Okay. So, I mean, so you, do you think this was like with the balance addressing and with the, the, the uh, you know, other things that have happened in the expansion, you think this is worth a look for people, Chris? I think if you have a particular love and passion for tech trees, I know this is, <laughs> seems a little odd, but I'm one of those people that played like Starcraft and Warcraft oh, and, sure. you know, all those games where it's like, what if I get this technology matched with that technology? How will that kind of play out? And I think that's tapestry. Everything else, as Anthony said, is really, he's right. It's all abstracted. The war mechanic, the building on the areas, you know, how those different tracks kind of play out. So like you max out a track and you're like, great. Now I have five minutes left in the game. So I'm not enjoying that big bonus. Plus now that I still do have maybe a turn or two left, I'm going to start building fire which is just like, right. <laughs> it doesn't thematically, right. but like, but when you're building tech trees, you don't think about that, right? When you're building a tech tree and you're building like hyperdrive, you don't think that like, oh, you know, landing thrusters should be something I invest in, right? Because clearly you should have landing thrusters before you have hyperdrive in a spaceship. But here <laughs> it's that situation where like, I ran up a tech tree, you know, right. it almost reminds me of role player in that way, where it's just, it's just one element of a civilization game. So if you really love that one element, and again, everything's corrected, the expansion fixes things, or maybe we'll see a new version of this come out where things are uh, you know, slimmed down and more concentrated that way. I'm glad that we community play tested. <laughs> <for the data. laughs> Pretty much, that's Stonemaier games in a nutshell. <laughs> Anyway, I mean, actually, I, I sh I've only played Tapestry a little bit. I shouldn't, I shouldn't uh, say too much. I mean, but this, it is voted number 53. Mm -hmm. And I think that it does scratch. It, uh, Chris kind of says that. It's yeah. like, you know, you want, you know, we, we, all, we all play Civ. Like, I mean, we all play yeah. these games. And like, this game comes the closest. Does it come all that close? No, but it, it tries. And there is That's enough right. fun there. So I right. think that, you know, I mean, <laughs> the list kind of speaks for itself in that one. Um, so I'm going to move on to uh, 50 to 26 because now we're starting to get to some real, like, you know, I, I noticed when we did the episode, uh, the, the main episode with all the games that a lot of Euros landed here, like a lot of like really like, you know, thick, well, I, I'm not like heavy, heavy, like, I don't think this is a place for heavy, heavy Euros, but mm -hmm. like really respected, well-crafted games landed here. We're going to go with first with the, uh, the West Kingdoms. Uh, entry so both paladins at number 34 and architects number 43 landed here so uh, what is your opinion of mr shen phillips and his forays uh most recent forays into the west kingdoms i'll go first um yeah architects is a very clever idea that gets a little old um after a few plays like once it's, you it's get one it, idea <laughs> it's yeah, a worker you, placement yeah. game with one idea the, the the if you don't know it it's the you know you, if you played you played worker placement games uh so you can place workers so in this particular game you can place multiple workers in one spot and then another the, the more workers you put the more things you get and then you're pushing your luck because at some point either the solo player or the bot will capture all those workers and you have to kind of do stuff to get them back so there's that push your luck element and then that is a game <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, and that's and really cool. Like the first that, time I played really that, cool. I was like, yeah, the first time I played that, I was like, this is genius. I love this. And like the fifth time I played it, I was like, okay, I get it. I'm good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, the, the cool thing about it is, is it is short. It's like an hour. So 
you get a lot of game in an hour, which is nice. I there love is an expansion. that you call an hour short. I love that. <laughs> and, and we're talking euros, man. Get you got to get in the headspace here. We're we're talking euros. An hour is crazy short. It's context, uh, brother. Context. context. <laughs> Some of the games on this list are not an hour. No, so. <laughs> no. What do you think about Architects, uh, Chris? As Anthony said, the thing I liked about Architects so much was that it was quick. My game group would play it a lot. They're like, oh, we have 45 minutes left. What can we fit in in this time? And usually it was Architects. But what Anthony said is true is that it is a single mechanic that does run dry rather quickly. But I do find it hilarious that like you sent a bunch of people out to, you know, get wood. And now they're arrested and they're in jail. And, and honestly, what's even funnier than that is the fact that like the whole game hinges upon you sending enough people down to a certain area to do a certain thing. But once they've done it, they don't come back on their own. You need them to be arrested yeah. in order to get them back. So you're like, yeah, I sent 20 people out to get, get lumber. Nobody came back. I have nothing to do. <laughs> Will somebody please arrest my men? Like, it's just, you're playing the game. And you're like, wait a minute. This just doesn't seem right. I don't know. I don't know what's going on here. So yeah, I, I, I think it's a very good mechanic. It's a very good first game in the series. Like we've been talking about that gets fundamentally better as he, recreates it and now we go to paladins yes so uh i'll start with chris chris uh did you say you liked paladins better i did i mean i think paladins up to this point is my favorite design of his it just uses his mechanics in a lot smarter way there's a lot more tableau kind of building you are building up your deck and you're getting the Mm -hmm. right cards the only problem i have with it is that it's a little culturally and religiously problematic so as I'm playing the game, I'm like, oh, cool. I'm going to use all my white guys to convert all the brown people to my yeah. <laughs> religion. And, and, if, and if they don't convert, I either convert or kill them. And I'm just like, ha, <laughs> 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 I want to win. Do I really want to win? Is there winning in this game? If, that's, if I could do one of two things, force <laughs> conversion or murder. <laughs> all right. I had fun. You know, right. but it's, it's definitely mechanically a, a better game and a, a good game. I, if it wasn't for that one issue, I would definitely pick it up. Mm-hmm. Paladins, Anthony. Yeah, same boat. Um, it is. Yeah. Well, the first time I played it, I was like, "Oh, this is, it has more to it. There's more depth there. You can more replayability." Um, I, it is funny because we talk about architects being quick. Paladins is not. It's no, a much longer no, game. No, it's a much crunchier, harder to yeah. set up, more of a table hog, more leaning towards that kind of like dinner area not quite to the point of la searcher like we talked about before but it's definitely kind of edging towards that in that direction yeah 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 the first time we played we're like oh it's a shem phillips game we'll, we'll start the night with this and then we only play one more game after that because it took three and a half hours so i think it always overstays its welcome a little bit at higher player counts um but i mean otherwise like mechanically yeah i agree with chris i think it it does a lot more with the same ideas yeah okay uh, a game I have zero, I have zero exposure to this game, but you, you seem to recognize it. So I was like, okay, I'll feed it to you. Here's some chum. <laughs> Mark Hybo. Mark Hybo oh, was no. 44. No. <laughs> Don't make me go back there. <laughs> the Bermuda Triangle. You go down to Mark Hybo and you never come back. <laughs> oh. Okay, tell me how you really feel. <laughs> this, in theory, is a brilliant game this in practice is an okay game 
when you actually have to sit through it for the length that it is, it certainly overstays its welcome because the tableau building can go for days because it really is always based upon how many spaces people move and how fast they move the game up. But you're really only scoring significant points based upon that tableau. So it's kind of like a terraforming Mars situation where you really need to be doing that thing. But if you're not doing that thing, you're not moving the game on and it just overstays its welcome. And again, it becomes a little bland slash problematic, but I don't know. I, I played the solo version. I, I played the thematic kind of gameplay with it. And I was disappointed it wasn't more dramatic because I thought that was really going to lead the game to a new level. I don't want to give anything away in case people are going to play it. But there was like one point in the game where we had a decision whether to save or not save somebody. And for some reason, we chose not to save the person. And the game was like, no, you need to do that over again and save the person. I'm just like, <laughs> but no, no, we didn't know. And then we had the cards. We had the person's card in our hand. We're like, so something dramatic should happen to the card in our hand and nothing happened. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's a Fister game. I feel like all of his story-driven anything, that's kind of what it is. You're like, it's cool, yeah. there's scenarios, it's kind of legacy-ish. And you, <laughs> as you go through it, you're like, it's also kind of boring. I don't know, <laughs> like, the story elements are not that interesting. It's just cool yeah. that they're adding layers to the game as you go, which I, I like about it quite a bit. Yeah. Um, I think the Terraforming Mars comparison is good because, yeah. specifically in this one, because I do like this game much, much better at lower player counts. Yes. Um, with four people three and a half, four hours is insane. It, it takes like an hour per person. And that's just crazy to me because like you said, people will just take one spot at a time and <laughs> those laps will never get completed. <laughs> I mean, the difference here from Terraforming Mars is one person can push it. They yeah, could just right. rush to the end and be like, no, we're going to end the game now. Just deal with it. Yeah. Um, but the solo version, you have a timer built in because the, the automobile player or whatever, they're moving along based on certain criteria. You're only going to get a certain number of turns per round. It moves pretty quickly. So you do have like a limitation on what you can accomplish. And I like that because it's like, okay, how do I get the most out of this limited amount of resources, limited amount of turns? Um, how do I build the best possible tableau? How do I get the most money? And so I do have a lot of fun with that. So this is one of those games that the first couple of times I played it, I was like, oh no another big expensive game that I wasted money on. I don't really like that much. And then once I started playing it solo, um, and I think it'd probably be equally good around two players, but I was like, Oh, I actually like this a lot. So I've gotten through not all of the legacy stuff, but. So what is the core action? Like, is it like a economic game? Is it a tableau builder? Is it a tile game? I don't even know what we're really doing. It's a tableau builder. Yeah. You're moving, you're moving a little ship along, um, up to a certain, you have a certain amount of movement you can take, but like one to five or one to seven, whatever right. it is. And then you take actions based on the type of place you land. So if you land in a city, there's usually a city action associated with that. And you trade in a certain card and you take the action. Mm -hmm. um, and then you take discs off of your player board, which unlock other actions and bonuses. Um, but if you land in a village, there's village actions you can take. And how many you take depends on how far you moved on your turn. And village actions are things like getting more money or playing the cards from your hand, which then helps you build out your tableau, which okay. gives you bonus actions. You can also put assistance in certain places, which give you even more bonus actions when you land there. Uh, uh, I guess I like the, the thing I like about Fister games, they tend to have a little bit more sense of movement. 
around the board you know it's like great western trails another one uh so maybe it's just kind of the theme choice but i i i, I mean it's not one of his games but like council of four was another game that kind of like had movement to it you know so it isn't just like you know i'm sta- i'm like staring at my staring daggers into my own player board and slowly right. making little forays into the center like i mean this one you can kind of get swept up a little bit um not that i've, I've just watched it just kind of like researching what to do and it's like uh eh, you know i mean Great Western Trail, I really don't like. I really, that was really bad. Yeah, I don't like it either. So, either um, so. <laughs> and it's like number eight on BGG or something crazy it's, like that. I don't get it. We, we really don't get it. Don't we get did it. the BGG Top 100 a few episodes ago, and once we got to that, we're like, why? What, are you what guys happened? Doing? <laughs> yeah. People like the black and white cover. Um, but okay, so two games that will definitely make you happy. Um, we've talked about that before. Uh, Chris mentioned Mind Clash games before. This is the highest Mind Clash game in Acrony. So I'll it's a good game because he's he's a big fan. Yeah, um, yeah. This is one of my favorite worker placement games, and it, it, part of it is, you know, there's the gimmick to it, like you know, powering up your bots with your little workers and taking actions that way. Like, and I just like the element of having to plan ahead a little bit. Like, you can't just you don't just have workers. You have to make sure those workers are awake, and then you have to choose how many of your bots to make available in any given round. So, how many possible workers could you put out, and how much do you want to pay to do that? Um, there's just so many interwoven elements here and they all work together really well. I'm actually kind of bad at this game. Um, <laughs> I don't know why it's one of those games. that just doesn't click for me. Dude, I'm horrendous. I am so bad at this game. It's, I, I just I can't love figure it, it out. so much. I really do. It's a, it's a, it's a the, the color scheme. It's like this big purple that just hits you in the face yeah. and, and the, the time travel thing and like the little, uh, all the, the boards and the bits and it's, it's a, it's a like you know like I think Chris mentioned before it's like the kitchen sink in a box, but it yep. just kind of works even if I stink at it, and I'd love to get it so I can actually get some reps at it. Because it's one of those games I really want to be good at. Yeah, yeah, and like the solo version is great because you have that Chronobot and it's like a pre-programmed kind of a board where it's moving based on certain elements of the game, so you can kind of yeah. see what might happen, but you never know quite what's going to happen. It's it's a cool mix of like the deterministic and randomness of a lot of solo. Uh, games where you're like, I, I can plan for certain elements, but I don't know 100% what's going to go next. Mm. Right. Uh, and then another one, Anthony, I'm going to tell you to pronounce number 35. I hope that you have pronou- improved your pronunciation since every night is game night. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> what? Sorry. I don't know. I broke up a little bit. <laughs> All right, I will spare you. Uh, this is a game that we did play at PAX. This was the game I was sitting at, by the way, uh, <laughs> holding open the table for an hour and a half while you guys just like slogged your barrage game. <laughs> I really wanted to play this, uh, but we ended up playing it. We ended up actually we ended up recording it for the episode because we kind of dro- dropped in. I was like, I think you, I think one of your friends had joined us. Uh, the game is Teotihuacan. Yes. So uh, I'll go to Chris. Chris, uh, did you? I don't think you were as smitten by it, if I remember correctly. No, it's kind of funny because I probably heard about this game first and I had spoken to the publisher first. And then at some point I had tire tracks on my back because Anthony just ran me over because he was so in love with this game. And I'm just like, really? And he's like, yes. And it was true. I mean, he just has the ultimate passion for this game. I enjoy this game a lot. I've enjoyed this game a lot more since I have it on board game arena. I didn't pick up a a copy of it, 
but board game arena really has done a lot to kind of like ingratiate it into uh my upper echelons but you know it's a giant rondelle and it and the rondelle's this idea that you have your marker at one point and then you only have a certain number of moves so you have to be as efficient as possible what you pick up and plan for the future and that is so brilliant because I love rondelles in so many games. And here's a game where the whole board is a rondelle. Right. And the, the buildings here are just great. It's really, it's, it's an unusually obvious design. It's just so intelligent. You look at the game, you're like, oh, of course. Why, why did not, <laughs> yeah. why was this not invented before? So, I mean, we did a whole episode just on tea games. And this is obviously the reason for it because it's just, it's a very clean, simple, great game to play. So I'll let Anthony just, you know, go on for days about this. He could fanboy about it. Yeah, yeah, this is a great game. Uh, <laughs> Which, it's what funny. Game it's one this? Of, what, what game are we talking about, Anthony? It's, <laughs> it's uh, Dano Tashini, City of Gods. <laughs> <laughs> At least they give us the subtitles. If you just want to ignore the part you can't pronounce, you can, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's the t it's that t game that he that he created you know that t one you were doing the so with the t it. it's been a long time <laughs> teotihuacan oh very pretty close pretty close okay right. good okay good <laughs> it's better than the last time i did it with oh you, my man. you're like what are you saying <laughs> when, we, when we did the original episode every night's game back because we did we used to do the origins preview every year and like, okay, and just looking off the BGG list because the games we didn't really know about. And you said the name of this game, and I was like, what? What? <laughs> you were like, well, Teotai Hukan, and like, what? To be fair, you know, we've done over 300 episodes, not just in the podcast, but everything else. And I'll read something about the new game that's coming out or the designer's name, and I'm just like, nope. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, Anthony, <laughs> I'm not gonna even try. And then even now, when I try, people are like, "Nope," and I'm just like, eh, "You do this." So yeah, he's far better than I. I won't even attempt. But uh, yeah, he's yeah. It's he worked at it. It was a good. game. It's it one good. of the many yeah. T games out there. I like the game significantly more than the name of the game. How about we put yeah. that way? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, it's one of my favorites. I, I in terms of like a, a Euro that I'm gonna play. Yeah. But like, you know, I'm not a Rondell guy. There's not a single Rondell game out there I like, but just, but this one, sure. with the, I mean, the setting really helps. I mean, I, I'm not going to lie. If it was uh, set in like, you know, you know, I don't know where, where else has ziggurats, <laughs> ancient Babylon or something. Right. I wouldn't mm-hmm. like it as much, but you know, I got my La Raza there going. Uh, they're, they're picking cocoa. You know, I, I just, mm-hmm. I know the history. I know the area. Um, so, but aside from the theme stuff, the, the, the motion of the dice, again, I like games that give that introduce that sense of motion, right. Mm-hmm. And the, and the tactileness of the, the pyramid being built and the Teodi yeah. bot is excellent. Uh, yeah. a little random, but you know, it's, it's so mm-hmm. much like the, I mean, a David Tercy bot is just a, a, something like a cut above, like just kind of a, 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 a very random, like a, you know, like, a, like the early automas. You know, right. like the early automas were just like, you know, here, here, here. And then this one is just like, okay, there's feedback. Like you were saying before, like, you know, you, it, it depends on, it manages to to hit you, like, you know, see what your game state is and react to your game state without like adding a whole bunch of a lot of rules, which is great. Yeah. Uh, I can't recommend Teotihuacan. I have not played the expansions though. Uh, um, expansion is real good. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's real good. <laughs> it adds a lot of layers. The thing about this game that makes it so good is the simplicity of it. Like, 
you move a die, you do a thing, right? That's that's right. the game. Yeah. Like the, the expansion does add layers on top of that. So you have to really like the game and want more of it. Um, I think it's definitely made for people who've played it a lot. So for me. Yeah. <laughs> and if you want to like triple your score. <laughs> yeah, the scores are crazy. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, so I think those were the ones that I called from 50 to 26, unless there's any others that I... Uh, I missed. I think we can go safely on to 25 to one. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of euros in the top and this, like, you know, when Anthony was, was doing the pod with me, cause we did the first one like four years ago. I think all these games, <laughs> we've talked about them on one, uh, one or another, except for a couple uh, like the number one game, which for some weird reason, Anthony, you don't quite qualify as a euro in your head because it's cooperative, but right. I don't get it. Spirit Islands is a Euro. <laughs> I mean, it is. I, I'm not going to argue so much, but I, uh, yeah, I don't know. How, how are yeah. you with Spirit Island, Chris? Oh, I love Spirit Island. It was oh, my yeah, number I, one I, I game last year. It's the game that I've played solo most. Nice. And it's just, it really is fantastic. I mean, it does so many things right. And again, I, I do think that, once upon a time, when we started the podcast, the division between Amerithrash or Amerithime and Euro was pretty radical. Now it's a really like an inch wide. I mean, right. there's, there's very few, very limited kind of distance between the two. So I, I guess as far as like a tableau building, deck building, action selection, it is a Euro game. As far as kicking out the colonists off the island in a very thematic <laughs> yeah, type pushing of them way. towards the, the coastline and hitting them with yeah. a tsunami and yep. Yeah. Yeah, stuff. that's the that's the marathiming, the maritrash kind of, you know, dudes on a map kind of situation. And you know, it does so many different things right. And that's really again what makes it such a great game because there's so many ways that game could seriously just fall off a cliff. You know, the 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 different spirits could be bad the the solo mechanic the the colonization how it, it kind of blows up the mechanics that there's so many different elements of that game that can sincerely be bad and should be bad and it's not bad in fact it only gets better with the expansions which right. is really hard to believe because it was such a tight game to begin with right yeah now this game's in my top 10 it's uh by far my favorite cooperative game out there and it, it it is probably because it does feel like playing a Euro, right? Yeah. And like, and if you're playing it solo, it might as well be because it's similar in feel to how you play any other Euro mm-hmm. solo. Um, and the sheer volume of variability because you have so many different spirits, so many different difficulty levels, so many different ways things could come out. Like it's not, there's no single path. You could play mm-hmm. this. This could just be the one game you play, right? Yeah. And, and it is. Could, like it, it dethroned Mage Knight. It was a, a surprise wow. hit last year. Uh, Mage Knight was the eternal number one. And yes. I don't I just don't see Spirit Island uh being dethroned anytime soon. Uh many, many pretenders will try. <laughs> right. <laughs> we will see. Uh but there are a couple of other games that we didn't have as much experience with on the other podcasts. I wanted to ask mm-hmm. about them here. Um, you showed me this game, Anthony. I think this game is fabulous. I'm still looking for my own copy. Um, you showed me this on, I think it was Tabletopia, Tabletop Simulator. Tabletop something. Simulator, yeah. Tabletop Simulator, uh, Underwater Cities. Yes, sir. Yep. <laughs> I'll talk a little, then I'll, I'll kick it to Chris because it's even higher on his list than mine. Really? Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. This is a game that we played at that same PAX, at which we played uh, 
with you and we played barrage so this was another game and it was another one that went really long but we knew immediately it was good based on that play and then i actually got a copy imported from europe after that because i didn't know when it was going to come to the states i'm like i need this game so (laughs) acquisition um, disorder i had to have it it was so good and it's one of those things like the only thing you could think of when you're playing is like, oh, it's like Terraforming Mars, but it fixes some of the problems. Right. But it is its own game. There's a lot more going on there, right? You are building out a tableau of stuff. You are, you know, chaining these things together, building up your little engine. And the genius of it, of course, is that you only ever have those three cards in your hand and then they're broken up by those three eras. So you never get stuck in a situation like Terraforming Mars where you have like 15 cards in your hand and seven of them you can't use or some right. nonsense like that. Like it's always targeted and pointed in the direction it needs to be. And you can always make a good decision. And combining that with the worker placement is just so smart. But um, yeah, this one's been way up on my list. Uh, I know Chris this year, though, like blew it way past me. (laughs) (laughs) What number was it for you, Chris? It was number one. Wow. I think this is is probably my number eight or nine. It did edge Terraforming Mars. Yeah, this game... And again, I think when we talk about Euro games, and especially for everyone out there listening who has kind of shied away from Euro games because they can be obtuse and they can be long in the tooth, underwater cities can every once in a while have that length to it. But what makes a, a Euro really brilliant is really two things. First is the snowball mechanic that you did something early on that not only paid off at that moment, but continues to pay off round to round to round. And it pays off even more. So it's a very satisfying feeling when you built something and it just grows right throughout. Mm-hmm. The second thing too is- but You have that city you... thing and then like it doesn't go anywhere. Like you start where it is and then you can kind of like, you know, you get your next city and then you get your road and you get your improved road and then you get all, and then you can go to the outside. So it's like you yeah. never- like in Terraforming Mars, it's not quite yours. Like you have sure. your little cluster uh, and then like everybody else is kind of like doing stuff and you can't like really point to something that says, okay, that's mine. And in, you, in Underwater Seas, you can. Yeah, and I, and I think that's one of the things where a Euro player comes away when the game comes to an end. And I think that's one of the brilliance about Euro games is that the victory condition is not necessarily winning, but enjoying what you built. So when you built this underwater city, this lavish architectural masterpiece that's Mm -hmm. on your board with all these biodomes and these tunnels and situations, you just marvel at it. And then you look at your tableau and you're like, I had all these specialists and advanced technologies that I was able to put together. And that really is the moment that you just walk away in awe that that wall was possible in that limited amount of time and with that limited amount of resources. So, I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of so many designers, but you know, Vladimir Suchi, you know, so many of his games are so innovative. I mean, his games are almost meta. Like if you ever played last will, like this idea that you Mm. build up this wondrous machine and there's all this wealth, but you need to build that up in order to, spend yeah. it all I so see, it's, uh, the it's, prodigal clubs over your uh, left shoulder over there yeah i mean just so many of his games are just revolutionary in that way and as as you were saying before and anthony too is like terraforming mars just did so many things right and just show that there was a huge audience for this and underwater city says 
yes, I can do that, but better and more. And I Hold think the expansion beer. does that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. <laughs> Hold my double double layered board where it actually holds your beer yeah. instead of sliding <laughs> off. You ever play Terraforming Mars, people? You put everything down and then someone goes boop and then everything goes off the board, right off into space. <laughs> I played solo, I would... man. I'm not messing with that. <laughs> It will. It will hold all of your things with the expansion. So yeah. Three absolutely. glowing reviews for uh, Underwater Cities. I adore that game. <laughs> Spirit Island, yep. I also adore. Uh, a game that I'm not familiar with, and I think maybe to educate the audience on Newsfjord, mm-hmm. I remember Newsfjord was not that, you, you weren't like super impressed by it when we first talked about it on the podcast. Has your opinion changed? Uh, yeah, it's a tough one. Like it is... It is classic Uwe Rosenberg worker placement, right? There's a board you place in one of several different places and then you build out your table of stuff, right? It's, it's about as basic as it gets to the point where it's been boiled way down. There's only two resources. There's money and fish and wood. That's it. And the money is like a wild, whatever. Um, the thing about this game that makes it so good and then I, the reason I do really like it and have kept it around and play it actually a fair amount solo is that it takes all that stuff you like about a Rosenberg game and it boils it down to like an hour to an hour and a half. Uh, so it's not the two to three hour experience of most of those big games. Um, the theming is a little bit different because it's not trying to do everything. You're just fishing and you're just cutting down trees, right? You're in, you know, you are up in Scandinavia and that, that's all you're doing. Um, and then the solo version of this game is very much like all of his other solo games where you are placing workers out, you leave them there, you cycle through other workers and you basically block your own spots. So it's the same as like a Feast for Odin, but it plays in like 20 minutes. So, and you can reset it really fast. So if I do play this solo, I tend to play it three or four times. Um, other than that though, like it, it's not fundamentally different from your other Rosenberg games. It's just simpler. It's more streamlined. It's like him looking in his other designs Basically doing a feast for Odin and thinking, okay, let's do that. But the opposite, you know, <laughs> take all the complexity back out and just streamline it into a few. We blew up the nuclear mechanics. bomb in season five. So let's go rescue a cat from a tree in season six. Exactly. Right. <laughs> exactly. Which is probably why it flew under the radar. I think in general for Euro lovers, but maybe not for solo players who are like, Ooh, smaller scope good like gates right. for goits of Liang too that's his other big one for solo it's like it's just smaller and simpler i i'm worried about this game i'm actually worried that uve has this game out there in the market because i do feel like you could argue as anthony is saying that this is like my first uve right like you, you haven't played his games before this is a good right. streamlined you know you only have really two resources as far as the game's concerned it, it's not going to overwhelm you and yet I do feel that it's so watered down that I think that people could play this game, not like it, and then never come back to the Uwe Rosenberg game again because I just don't think it has enough of his genius in it. I think it's too watered down. Whereas, you know, we already talked about A Feast for Odin is like too much. Like it's just, it's just too, it's too crunchy, too chunky. This is just like, we're talking about broth versus stew. <laughs> this is like, this is just barely broth. And I played it. And I'm like, it's like, wow, <laughs> this is underwhelming. Like, why? Why would he do this? Like, like, you know, this is like a game he didn't have to produce. At the Gates of Loyang, 
I think is a much more substantial game and a right. far, far better representation of his solo element. Yeah, I mean, it's a yeah. higher rank game. Like, At the Gates of Lo Yang was one of those, it was weird because we, I've been doing the, the, the commentary for, I don't know, four or five years now. And it was like always the same exact rank. It was like 12, 12, 12, 12, 12. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, it, it's dipped a little bit because there's just so much that are, that's coming out. But I mean, it's, it, I think the Lo Yang is going to be the emblematic solo. And, and uh, Uwe is the emblematic solo designer. Now his games are more represented on the list than anybody else. Sure. And it's like not even close uh and I, I i barely count matt leacock because of his 17 pandemic games uh, yeah that, it's all the same game here. <laughs> although rosenberg's games are all the same game too so i don't know <laughs> well he's got two games he's got two gears right the that's option true. the poly polyamos is the other one that's true that's right. right i did i did just play new york zoo not too long ago it is um it is that <laughs> <laughs> And there's your review, people. It is that. It is Put that, that on the box. Wait, if you're out there, Chaffield. <laughs> I think that's all. I mean, we there. We could go on for a long time. Like, and these are there are other games that we've commented on many, many times. Terraform Archive, and you know, uh, I mean, unless you guys have any particular comments about anything that's left, uh, I, I'm I'm pretty much done with on my end. I don't think so. No, I mean, yeah, we've talked about you know in the past on the other podcasts covering this list all these other ones that are up here um i yeah i would say that coming from an ameritheme ameritrash type of hobby where board games were all about theme and the idea of a euro game or an economic game or a market game or a farming game was the furthest you know thematic universe that i ever want to be at it is a step forward it really is a step that you have to take and I do feel like, again, from a guy who had a collection of games with like miniatures and, you know, thematic punching out the other team and or the war games that were out there, it was a big step. But I think if you do make that step, I think that there is a game for everybody. Right. And it's not as daunting as it looks. It does look daunting. Every time I get a Euro, big, heavy, crunchy Euro games to the table, I, you know, I'm a little taken back by it. But then once you sit down and play it, it is manageable reasonable and actually thematically a lot of fun mm-hmm. I, all the games we covered in the top 100 on, on some level or another have some bit of things to tickle your imagination to, to kind of transport you which i think is the kind of you know kind of wrapping up like and that's that's we conclude on the other podcast too um we like solo players want to be transported Yes. You know, like we want to go to, to go to a different headspace. We want, we, you know, if we're going to be at a table by ourselves, we don't want to feel like we're at a table by ourselves. <laughs> we want to feel right. like we're somewhere else. And it's the genius, as Tris was saying, is like there are plenty of um, really crunchy, mechanically heavy, mechanically involved Euro, Euro games that can still do that. Yeah. Uh, and I think all of these are represented. Like, you know, like you mentioned before, underwater cities, you know, you mentioned before about the city. Not only are you building the city, it's different from somebody else's city. Yes. And it's earned. I feel like I earned that city. It's not like I, yeah. it didn't just happen. <laughs> right, <laughs> <I> just <yeah. laughs> have like things coming in from the side. Like I, I earned this, you know, with blood, sweat and card play. Um, so, but thank you guys so much. I definitely filled in a lot of uh, different gaps, you know, um, uh, come at me, internet. Come at me, YouTube. <laughs> I've had enough of your criticism. <laughs> we got you, man. We got you. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, so these uh, so these uh, two guys are on Board Gamers Anonymous. They're uh, posting twice a week at this point. Yay for pandemic. 
uh, having lots and lots of time to create content. Uh, BGA Live is on Twitch, and then you have the uh, the podcast, which is 300 episodes and counting. Uh, so any last words for the peoples? Yeah, I mean, like you said, uh, if you guys want to catch any of our stuff, we are on Monday. We record the podcast live on Twitch as well. Uh, it's 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, you can catch us on Board Game Arena or Board Game Arena's Twitch. And then Wednesday, it's BGA Live. Same place. So every week, that's where you'll find us. And then obviously the podcast is all the places you find podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I guess, again, BoardGamersAnonymous.com. Obviously, the podcast, all the links are up there. And every night is game night is still up there. So there's a lot of great content yeah up there for you to check out board games, introduce new people to the board games. And we always wanted to make our content as evergreen as possible. So every game that you've heard here, I guarantee you it's somewhere in our vast catalog that we've covered and raked over a thousand times. And (laughs) even now, all these games and a good number of them that we've talked about, we've now played live and taught live on twitch and all of those videos are up there too so you could jump back and enjoy them as well but uh yeah hit us up we would love to hear from you and you'll see me eat a hat so <laughs> oh yeah jason ate a hat <laughs> i hope you enjoyed that shelf story this is jason reminding you if you can change your mind you can change the world so until next time later everybody take care bye Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop. Or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again and we'll see you next week for another top five list.